Well, beloved, I guess Christmas can't be too far away. You know how I know? Because the Hallmark Channel is putting out Christmas movies. Now, in full disclosure, I've actually never watched the Hallmark Channel. That's just not my jam. But I can pretty much tell you how it's going to go, all right? It's going to be like this. This young, rich doctor, single, moves into a small town, right? Goes to the local diner, meets the waitress who's just scraping by with two, you know, single mom with two kids just scraping by. They fall in love, they kiss, and it snows. <laughs> right? There you go. I just saved you two hours. All right. Because you see, uh, out of Hollywood come movies uh, that are all about uh, how people come together and meet together and fall in love. Because that's the, that's the feel-good story, right, that sells tickets. We all love that. But I thought about it. I can't even think of one movie out of Hollywood that has the, the main theme about a couple that over the long haul stayed true to one another, that worked and strived and communicated and did all the stuff necessary to, to stay true for a lifetime. Can you even name one? So that, that, that's not the message that comes out of Hollywood. But you know what, beloved, that message right there about staying true that is the message coming out of a city named Antioch, and that's what I get to show you today. So turn with me to God's Word, however you get into God's Word. Acts chapter 11, you can do the Version app, open your Bibles, however you get into God's Word, find Acts chapter 11. And as you're doing that, let me give you a little bit of background, especially if you're new. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts together as a, as a church family this fall. And back in chapter 7, this saint of a man named Stephen was murdered. He was stoned to death, and then... Because of that, word about that spread, and so other followers of Christ like him really fled in fear for their life. Eric talked about chapter 8 was the great persecution, and it caused a great scattering of people. The believers scattered uh, from Jerusalem to other parts of the world, including 300 miles north to the city called Antioch. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word of God to no one except to Jews alone. So let me put a map up here just to kind of orient us to where we are in the world, all right? So if, if you look at the lower right corner, there's Jerusalem, all right? There's Israel. And then if you'll just go straight north from there, 300 miles, you'll see Antioch right there. That's where a lot of people fled to. And also there's Cyprus. There's that island right there of Cyprus. And if you'll scoot your eyes over left, lower left, uh, I want you to make note, please, of Cyrene. Cyrene, the town of Cyrene, that's in northern Africa. All right? So that's where we are in the world. And if you'll notice, these Jews, in fear for their lives who are following Jesus, fled north to, to these various regions. But this passage says they only told other Jews about Jesus. That's what it says. Until... Verse 20, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, there it is, in northern Africa, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well. That's non-Jews, Gentiles, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So in the history of our faith, in the history of our church, it's 
You know, Jesus was a Jew and he ministered to the Jews and the gospel spreading to Jews. But now from right here in this verse right here, now the gospel is spreading to Gentiles, to non-Jews. It's like, if you're watching the news, this is like breaking news, like Fox News Alert or whatever all the other channels say, breaking news. The gospel is now permeating the Gentile culture. It's spreading. It's going viral. That's the news. And so this is exactly what the Bible said would happen, all right? Jesus first came for the Jews. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So now the gospel is spreading outside of the Jewish community into the Gentile community. If you were with us last week, Eric talked about in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, that there was this domino that fell. His name was Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He comes to faith in Christ, receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he's the first domino to fall, and now we're seeing all the rest of them fall. That's what this chapter is about. Verse 21 says, a large number heard and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And check it out, beloved, good news travels fast. Here we go, verse 22. The news about them, that's the many new Gentile believers, reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Okay, two things here. First, you got to remember that the believers in Jesus, many, many of them scattered away from Jerusalem in fear for their lives, but the apostles, they chose to stay in Jerusalem. And so therefore, uh, you could say the headquarters of the church was in Jerusalem. But they heard the good news about Antioch and all the new Gentile believers in Antioch. So they say, hey man, those brothers and sisters need some encouragement. Let's send Barnabas. You guys remember Barnabas? We met him earlier. He's nicknamed by the apostles as the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. So those brothers and sisters need some encouragement. Let's send the son of encouragement up to encourage them. And that's what happens. Verse 23. So then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, this is Barnabas, he rejoiced and began to encourage them. There you go. With resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were added to the Lord. He witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced and began to encourage them. That's Barnabas, being Barnabas, using this gift of encouragement that he's been given to encourage others. And I think really, y'all, this is what God expects all of us to do, to use our gifts and to exercise them to be a blessing to others. The Bible says, for the common good. Here's how the Bible puts it in the book of Romans. We all got different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then do it. Prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, here's Barnabas, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's lead, leadership, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In other words, my beloved, here's God's commission to each believer uh, in Jesus Christ, each member of the church. Find your gift, find your place, and you do you, boo. That's a, a bit of a paraphrase, but that's very biblical, all right? Find your gift, find your place, and you do you. Boo. All right. So how did Barnabas encourage them? He's using his gift of encouragement. How did he encourage these new Gentile believers? What did he say? Go back to verse 23. Here's the heart of the message. Remain true to the Lord. What an awesome message. Remain true to the Lord. There's the message. Not coming out of Hollywood. It's coming out of Antioch. Remain true to the Lord. My brothers and sisters, 
Isn't it special that God ordained Barnabas to go up to this flock of new believers, Gentile believers in Jesus, and the very first message they hear from God through Barnabas, brand new believers, remember, stay true to the Lord. What's the message? In other words, beloved, for all of us who follow Jesus Christ, check it out. This thing right here is for life. It's for life. It's about staying true to the end. A man challenged me a long time ago, Sherm, tell me what your church is about in seven words or less. I said, all right. It's about developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Seven words. But if he would have let me have two more, I would have said, okay, our church is about developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ for life. It's for life. This relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ is for life. It's lifelong. It's eternal. It's about staying true. Now, Pastor, how do I do that? It's hard out there. I'm glad you asked. The answer is right back in here. Barnabas told us it's with resolute heart. That's the key. With resolute heart. Other versions say with purpose of heart, with steadfast hearts, or with devoted hearts. In the original language, it means to place before or to set a plan. That's kind of the word picture God gives us. So when I think about that, I think about me going out to eat. Now, y'all may not know this about me, but one of my sin areas is I like to eat. I mean, I like to eat. You know, the good thing about being a pastor in America and a glutton <laughs> is that ain't none of y'all going to throw a stone at me. You know what I'm saying? All right. But I like to eat. And so what I have to do, because I have the Holy Spirit in me and because I got heart disease, what I have to do when I go out to eat is I have to make what I'll call a pre-decision, right? So even before I get to the restaurant, I've made a pre-decision. When I get to that restaurant, this is what I'm going to order, something heart healthy, unless it's a special occasion, all right? So I can pretty much tell you what I'm going to order at every restaurant around here, all right? Uh, Drake's yolk, I'm going to order the salmon salad, which is really good, by the way. Blue jasmine, I'm going to get the vegetables with a spring roll and a salad with no dressing. Like, I can pretty much tell you what I'm going to order everywhere around here I, because I've made a pre-decision before I get there so that when I am enticed or tempted with the left side of that menu right there, and trust me, I am, I love me a great double cheeseburger. I can say to the left side of the menu, I'm sorry, but I made a predecision that I'm going to follow this path. And that's the spirit of this word to have a resolute heart. So you and I wake up every day and we make a, if you will, predecision that we're going to follow Jesus so that when we are enticed or tempted by the left side of the menu items out there in the world, we can say to them, I'm sorry, but I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That's what it means to have a resolute heart. And may I say to my young friends, especially as a, your older brother or grandpa, whatever I am, listen, my young friends, in order for you to follow Jesus for life, you're going to need a resolute heart. You're going to need to wake up every day and make a predecision to follow Jesus. With resolute heart, remain true to the Lord. 
Now, Barnabas obviously is great at encouragement, and so because of all his ministry and the, and the people spreading the gospel to others, the church grew. It says in verse 24, considerable numbers were added to the Lord. Matter of fact, so many people were added to the Lord that it was more than Barnabas could handle. So he's like, man, I need some help. Who can I get to help me? I know just the guy, verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with a church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's it. You remember Saul? Saul was the guy back in Acts chapter 9 that, that Barnabas went to grab, put his arm around him, brought him to the apostles and said, hey, apostles, check it out. This guy right here, this guy Saul, he's the real deal. I've witnessed and I can affirm him as a mission uh, to the Gentiles. This guy is an apostle to the Gentiles. God's called him. He's consistent witness. God has ordained him to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the Gentiles. And so knowing that, uh, Barnabas went up to Tarsus to grab him and bring him back to Antioch. said, hey, man, check it out. I need some help. We've got hundreds of new believers in Jesus. Come help me teach them what it means to follow Jesus. Because you got to remember, beloved, these Gentile people knew nothing. They were like me when I first went to seminary. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't go to a Christian school, even though Christian's in the name. I didn't know anything. So I go to seminary and people are throwing around these terms like, you know, hermardiology and hermeneutics and exit Jesus. And I'm like, why are you wanting to exit Jesus? I didn't understand any of that. I didn't get the language. I didn't get the lingo. I didn't know anything. Well, I was like a Gentile back coming to faith in Christ. The Jews knew the law. The Gentiles, they didn't know anything. They worshiped all these other pagan gods and other stuff. So when they come to faith in Christ, they're like, what do I do now? How do I follow Jesus? What's the truth? And that's where Paul steps in. The, the apostle Paul steps in. And for an entire year, it says, they met with these folks and taught, and taught them. What did they teach? They taught them the scripture. They met and they taught. We call that discipleship here. Because I know, listen, I know that Skype and Zoom and FaceTime have their place, and that's cool technology. I'll be using it today to say hello to my family around the world, around the country. But I'm just going to say this, and I may sound old-fashioned for saying this, but while FaceTime is cool, face-to-face -face is better. These folks met face-to-face and taught each other the scriptures. And you get the impression that it wasn't just on Sunday mornings they did this. It was part of their life, lifestyle. Around here, we call that discipleship. When you meet regularly, open the scriptures, and encourage one another in God's word, we call that discipleship. It's one of our distinctives. And discipleship, we believe, is what creates real life change. I got to witness this up close recently with a friend of mine named Gary. And he gave me permission to share his story. A few years ago, Gary called me up. I hardly knew Gary at all at that time. And he called me up and said, hey, Pastor Sherm, would you be willing to spend some time with me and, and teach me the Bible? Okay. So Gary and I began spending time together, getting to know each other and teaching him the Bible. Well, it turns out I got to know Gary's story. And Gary was a widower at the time. Unfortunately, Gary's wife contracted a terrible form of cancer and uh, God called her home. And so Gary, just understandably, was looking for friends and support. He chose our church as part of that. But also he was looking on Facebook uh, for a group for support. And it turns out that there's this Facebook group of people who uh, encourage one another who have also lost loved ones for that same type of cancer. 
And in the course of that Facebook group, he met this lady named Donella. And so Donella, being a woman of faith, just began to encourage him, and they struck up a friendship, and that kind of grew and grew, and it got to a point where Gary looked and said, you know what? She's kind of cute. I kind of like her. And at that point, Donella said, I'll tell you what, Gary, why don't you go ask your pastor if he'll spend some time with you and teach you the Bible? Good move, Donella. And so that's what precipitated Gary's call to me. And so I got to walk with Gary, and he and I spent time together in the scriptures, encouraging one another in God's word, and I got to watch him grow and, and really uh, solidify his faith in the Lord and in the scriptures and sound doctrine. And he grew and grew so much that Donella's like, now we're talking. And so they got engaged, and about a year and a half ago, they got married. Take that Hallmark channel. <laughs> By the way, Gary and Don are sitting right over here. Where are you all at? Where are you are? There you are. Can you say hi to them? All right. <laughs> That's the fruit of discipleship that brings about real life change. And that is why just in closing, beloved, look, last line, last part of verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is the first time this word is ever used, Christian. Now, please observe, they didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians. What does that mean? Well, the term I-A-N, the suffix I-A-N at the end of that word is a, is a Roman word, a Latin uh, term. Remember, this is a Roman culture. So it was used to describe people of the party of or people who follow. So in other words, if you were of the party of Herod or a follower of Herod, you were a Herodian. If you were of the party of Caesar or you followed Caesar, you were a Caesarian. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ or of the party of Jesus Christ, you were a Christian. That's how the world labeled them. In other words, they were called Christians because by their duty and their doctrine, by their belief and their behavior, they resembled significantly enough the one that they chose to follow. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be of the party of or a follower of Jesus Christ, so much so that when people look at our lives, they go, oh, I know who you are. You're a follower of Christ. You remind me of him. That's what it means to be a Christian. A missionary named E. Stanley Jones uh, in the early part of the 20th century went to India to share the gospel. And he met up with Mahatma Gandhi. And in the course of that conversation, E. Stanley Jones asks Gandhi, you know, what advice can you give me on normalizing or naturalizing Christianity in India? And here's what Gandhi said. He said, first of all, I would encourage all of you Christians to live more like Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, all of you around the world watching and listening, I would encourage all of us to live more and more like Jesus Christ. So much so that the world around us looks at us and goes, I know who you remind me of. You remind me of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
And so, Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you. And first, I, I just want to ask, indeed, if there is anyone here or listening around the world who has yet to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, today's the day. The good news is that, that God sent his only son, not just for Jews, but for the whole world. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. So if you're a sinner, I got good news for you. Jesus died for you. This gift is being sent from heaven right to the doorstep of your heart. Receive it by faith. And then for us who have received and believed and turned to the Lord and have committed our lives to following him, Lord, you must have given us this passage today because this church needs this word, this word of exhortation, this word of encouragement about staying true to you. So Lord, I pray for myself and my, and my brothers and sisters whom I love. Lord, renew as just a daily habit in our lives, the practice of waking up every day and deciding today, I'm gonna follow Jesus Christ. So that when we encounter the detours, the distractions, the uh, side menu items that this world has to offer, we can say, no, thank you. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, amen.